book of Daniel. For this and the next time that I speak, Lord willing, I would like to present some thoughts related to living the Christian life on the college campus. It should be obvious the reason for the timing, since college is just starting up again. Now, I'm dealing here primarily with the Christian who chooses to go to a non-Christian school. Um, Many of the principles that we'll look at this time and next, I think, would apply to public high school. Some of them would apply to Christian college, and really they would apply to many situations. But primarily, I'm trying to zero in on the Christian at the non-Christian college. Though there are many wonderful and exciting things to experience in the college setting, the secular campus is essentially an environment of unbelief. The Christian must realize from the beginning that he or she is entering a battlefield, not a playground. To live a holy life in the midst of fellow students, many of whom are attempting to prove how liberated, so-called liberated they are, uh, isn't easy along with the pressures to conform to impure lifestyles, there will also be many attacks on the truths of Christianity in the classroom. So the question is, how should a Christian deal with these various challenges to his or her faith on the college campus? And to answer that, I would like to examine the life of Daniel and his three friends in the Old Testament. Now, that might seem like kind of a strange place to turn for uh, some instruction related to going to a Christian or to a, a Christian going to a non-Christian school. But I think uh, that Daniel and his three friends found themselves in a somewhat similar situation thousands of years ago, and God helped them through it in a wonderful way. So we can learn from their example. I think their way of dealing with their environment of unbelief, and they were in a terrible environment of unbelief, uh, can be helpful to the college student today. So what I'd like to do is just read chapter 1, and then we'll talk about it. So if you're in Daniel, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, 
to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration of the king's choice food and from the wine of which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, almost four years in a college setting, but they just had three years here, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine in which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking haggard, more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servant for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance, then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the ewes who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days their appearance seemed better than they, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued with withholding their choice food and wine, and uh, the wine they were to drink, and kept giving them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the official presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal servant, service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Well, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would instruct us here from this account of these four young men. 
We ask for your Holy Spirit now to use your word to help each one of us, and especially I would pray for the college students here, that there would be something helpful to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first I just want to remind you of the historical setting of what we just read. From about 606 to 536 B.C. is what is referred to as the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Judah and had taken many of the Jewish people captive. Actually, it came in waves, but this was the first wave in in 606. And uh, they had been taken away uh, to Babylon. Um, Daniel and some of his young friends were among that first group to be taken away, and they were probably probably in their late teens when first uh, taken out of their land and taken to Babylon. Um, of course, this was a totally new situation to them. And uh, Babylon at that time was a area that really ruled the world, at least that area of the known world. It was a wonder city of the ancient world with magnificent palaces and temples, the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. You've probably heard of those, one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, Science and art flourished in this uh, city and country. And... um, It was, with all this prominence, it was also a city given over to pride and false gods. So it was a wondrous city and yet a very wicked city. So that was the setting that this young man, Daniel, and his friends found themselves in. Now, another little interesting historical note is that Daniel's name means God is my judge. God is my judge. So here was a young man separated from his land, from his parents, and from his former way of life. In fact, the Babylonians, as we read here, they even renamed him. Instead of uh, God is my judge, they named him after one of the uh, Babylonian gods, Bel, B-E-L. And so... They named him Belteshazzar, which means Baal protect his life. So they did uh, what they could to change this guy. Took him out of his home, away from his family, and gave him a, a different name. The Babylonians could change the names of these young men, but they couldn't change their nature because God had already done that. These young people came into this ungodly setting as godly young people. God had already changed their nature. So what I want to do is take a look at Daniel and his three colleagues here as to how they handled life in Babylon and to draw some examples of how to handle life on the college campus for the Christian. I would say, first of all, one of the prominent things that comes out in this chapter and throughout the book of Daniel is that these four 
young people feared God. Uh, it says in verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the king's wine. Now this food was probably dedicated to idols. That's why it would be defiling for these Jewish young people to eat it. But it took courage and it took bravery and boldness to take the stand that they did. To make up, he made up the, his mind, and they all did this, that they would not be defiled in that setting. Because Daniel and the others feared God more than man, they made up their minds not to defile themselves. They feared displeasing God more than they feared displeasing man, and that's important. And the fear of man is a snare, and it'll be a snare on the college campus, it'll be a snare at public high school, it'll be a snare anywhere you go. Uh, we must fear God more than we fear man, and fear God, fear displeasing God more than displeasing men. And you just get a feel from the account that they lived their lives consciously under the eye of God. In fact, I think uh, Daniel's name was very appropriate. God is my judge. And he lived his life and they lived their lives as if that was the reality. God's my judge, not man. Not what man thinks is the most important thing, but what does God think about what I'm doing and what I'm saying. So... The fear of God is prominent in their lives. They displayed a heroic determination to do what is right in the sight of God. Uh, you know, we can say that, uh, to do, we want to do what's right in the sight of God, but if we actually do it in this world, that's heroic. It's, it is. Proverbs 8.13 the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. These, these young men feared the Lord. And we're told also in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. They didn't have confidence in themselves, but they had confidence in God. And so they were able to take this stand that they did. Um, applying this then to the college student, each college student here, I would say in reverence, for the God that saved you and who and under whose eye you live, determined by the grace of God not to defile yourself in the college years. That's what these, these young men did in that setting, and that's what you need to do. That's what we all need to do in, in an environment of unbelief. Determine not to defile ourselves. Secondly, these young men were courteous and kind and caring. This may seem like the opposite of the boldness and bravery that I'm talking about in the first point, but they go together. We must treat others with respect. Uh, you see that in the second part of, of uh, verse 8 there. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And then verse 12, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. It wasn't an arrogant attitude. It wasn't a, 
abrasive way of approaching this situation that Daniel and his um, uh, friends displayed here. He was, and they were, determined to do right, but they were not hard-headed or obstinate or even impolite in this setting. Um, he displayed a respect even for his captor that I think partly won over this person's heart, not to the Lord, but at, less, at least to kindness towards him. You, you get a feel for this as you read this account. Um, we learn from this that it is important to listen to others and try to understand their position, what they're saying and what they're feeling. Uh, like this, this official here, he had very good reason for wanting to enforce the uh, king's edict here about them eating this food. He says, uh, you know, Daniel, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose my head. I mean, uh, Daniel was willing to listen to what he had to say here, and it, ga it gave some insight into this man's uh, personality. I mean, uh, what, what's important often is to treat others the way we want to be treated. And that's what Daniel was doing here. If we come across as unkind or unloving or disrespectful, we will dishonor the God we say we're serving. So there's no place in the Christian life for critical, abrasive, argumentative spirit. It's quite possible to be right in what we say and wrong in the way we say it. Our primary purpose is not to try to win some intellectual arguments, but to bring glory to God. And really a clean life coupled with warmness and truthfulness, a sincere attitude, will bring more honor to the Lord than any great expertise at winning arguments. I think it's good to remember in these situations that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. So I think Daniel's a good example of, of uh, what James was talking about there. He's a good example of a uh, good example for the Christian in college. An example of firmness, firmness of purpose, coupled with respect and kindness, even towards those who disagree with us and with whom we would disagree. We should always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account of the hope that's in us, yet with gentleness and reverence, it says. 1 Peter 3.15 So, a fear of God displayed in boldness and and uh, firmness coupled with a courteous, kind, respectful attitude. Thirdly, we need to be with believers. Be with believers. In this account, David was with his three Jewish friends. Though they were in an environment of unbelief, yet they could pray together, talk together, 
and help one another stand for truth and righteousness. The picture that I get from this account was that Daniel was pretty much the one who led the way, but that uh, they all worked together to stand against the defilement and temptation that surrounded them. Uh, a little bit later, you'll see Daniel's in a situation which uh, was a dire situation for him, and he goes to his friends and asks them to pray with him about it. We didn't read that far, but we'll get to that later on. The point I'm making here is they could pray for one another, they could lift up one another, and they could help one another. And when you're in an environment in an environment of unbelief, it's important to be with believers whenever you can. Uh, we just we need one another's prayers. We need one another's encouragement. We need one another's uh, edification, help, and encouragement. Now, sometimes you have to stand alone in certain situations, and we see Daniel doing that later on in the book. But be with believers when you can. That's just a basic principle to help the Christian in a non-Christian environment. Be with believers whenever you can. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. And it goes on and says, If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And then he says, A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. All that has to do with the importance of, of being with others of like mind, like precious faith. Uh, so I'm just trying to emphasize, be with believers often in that situation. Fourthly, we need to be prudent. Prudence is, a wise, is to be wise in handling practical matters. It's to be sensible, careful about one's conduct, thinking things through. That's what it means to be prudent, thinking things through. And you see, this uh, is what these young men did. Um, please, it says in verse 12, Please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And it goes on and says, Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, in the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. They had a plan, you see. They had thought this thing through. They didn't just say, No, we're not going to do that. They had thought it through carefully and had a plan. Uh, prudence then includes reasoning, preparation, caution, and being responsible for our actions. Uh, thinking things through means going beyond cliches and sound bites. Rash and rushed judgment on our part often brings dishonor. And uh, we don't want to do that in, in the college setting. Uh, there's just a few Proverbs here. Proverbs 18.15 The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge. They want to. They want to figure. They want to try to analyze and figure out what's the best course. What's God's way? They don't just jump into something. They the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. 
uh, Proverbs 13, 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge. You acquire knowledge and then you act with knowledge. That's what prudence does. A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The, the naive proceed and pay the penalty. In other words, thinking ahead, thinking things through. And then Proverbs 15:28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. And uh, along that line, I thought I would try to uh, give a few ideas, concepts here related to speaking up in class. First of all, I would say it's important to know your facts. If you're going to speak up, you ought to know what you're talking about. Uh, we will do little good and sometimes great harm to speak on things of which we're ill-informed. It's often the greatest wisdom in some situations simply to be quiet. When you do say something, make sure you have reliable information. This means for the Christian, often you'll have to do some extra work um, because you must not only understand what's presented in class, you also have to know how the truth of God relates to what was presented in class. And that yeah, takes some um, extra time. That's one of the dilemmas that the college student has because time is kind of at a premium in that you've already got a bunch of stuff that's been piled on. So you're not going to be able to investigate everything that comes along. But there are some things, I think, if we'll ask God to keep us from going off on a wild goose chase, there are some things that he would want us to, to investigate and speak out on, speak up on in class. Uh, qualified Christians have written on almost every area of study. I mean, these things that come up in class have been, you know, this wasn't the first time anybody ever dealt with this uh, issue. You know, a lot of times it's new to you, but there's been probably 25 books written on that very subject, and there's good stuff written by Christians uh, on almost everything that would come up in a classroom. Uh, so... Some, sometimes I think we just would have to say, well, I may, I may not be able to answer that right now, but I know there's an answer. And uh, sometimes God will have us to investigate that and say something later on in, uh, in a class. Um, on the other hand, uh, we just can't investigate every challenge to Christianity that comes up. The fact is, unbelieving teachers can manufacture questions much faster than you can investigate them. <laughs> and uh, so we have to beware less minor issues divert us from really important ones. So it takes discernment to know what to speak out on, what to be quiet on. Uh, so that's uh, know your facts. We're talking about uh, speaking up in class. Know your facts if you're going to say something. Coupled with this is the reality that many issues are not black and white. Some things, is, you can't just say this is all right or all wrong. Many things brought up in a class have elements of truth mixed with error, and we need to distinguish between these elements. To speak out against the extremes of a position as if that prese presented the whole of a position only causes others to reject 
our thoughts as unreasonable or uninformed. For example, take a common current issue, the area of feminism. Big thing on campus for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. The fact is that some of what the feminists have said is right. For instance, uh, if you go clear back, um, yeah, women should have had the right to vote. And um, they should be, there should be equal pay for equal work. And it is wrong for men to treat women as being of lesser importance or any, in any derogatory way. Yeah, th that's, that's true, and yet we ought to acknowledge that. Uh, to simply reject feminism without actually uh, giving any acknowledgement of these valid points will only weaken our argument. Now, along with this, um, we need to be careful about not stating as absolutes something that we're not sure is an absolute. Uh, again, that weakens our argument. Now, of course, today in the classroom, absolutes are scorned except for the self-refuting absolute statement that there are no absolutes. We should not be afraid to speak up on the clearly revealed absolutes of God's Word. But we must be careful not to bring these areas into disrepute by stating as absolutes our opinions about other things, unclear areas. In the Proverbs, we're told in 30, verse 5 and 6, every word of God is tested. That means that it's absolute. It's going it's to stand. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. But then it goes on to say, do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. Don't make something an absolute unless you're absolutely sure that it is an absolute from God. That's done a lot of harm down through the history of, of Christianity. So those are just a few thoughts related to speaking up in class. Uh, so fifthly then, I would say that you see in these young men a pursuit of excellence. It says in verse 17, And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, obviously, some of that was supernatural, especially this related to the vision and dreams. But go on, let's, let's um, look over in verse 20. When, when the king examined these four uh, students, this is what he found concerning them. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Now, what am I drawing from that? I'm drawing that these guys were good students. Uh, it says that God gave them knowledge, but I doubt 
that this means that God just poured information about the Chaldean language and literature into their heads. It wasn't like that. They, they came to an understanding, it says, of the literature and wisdom of, of the Chaldeans. And I think for sure that that involved hard study. They were not lax or lazy, but diligent in the situation that God put them. They worked hard at what, in the situation God put them in. Consequently, they were able to understand this culture without becoming a tool of the tyrants that were in charge of it. In demonstrating a desire to excel and to honor the true God, they were able to exert a godly influence in an ungodly culture. That's what you want to do as a college student. You want to exert a godly influence in an ungodly culture. That never would have happened if Daniel and those with him would have taken a half-hearted attitude toward learning or if they would have taken this attitude. I don't care about your sinful culture and I'm not going to learn this foolishness. This, what, what happened there with Daniel and his friends would never have happened if that would have been their attitude. These young people did their best in a difficult situation, and God blessed it. They pursued excellence, but most of all, they pursued God, and God used them. We're told in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10:31, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And that's what they did in that situation, and that's what a college student needs to do in their situation. Try hard, don't quit, do the best you can with what God's given you, and God will bless this and use you in that situation. So those are five areas, and I think uh, I have five or six, or I'm not sure how many more to look at next time. But uh, I think that we have a good example here of an environment of unbelief, Babylon, which we can learn some very real uh, principles from for the environment of unbelief, the college campus, on how to not only survive, but actually affect that campus for God's glory. I will go on next time then.